and welcome to this free episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Uh, my name is Hussein. You can follow me at hkizvani at twitter.com. If you do, um, I will probably be posting about Avatar because I'm seeing it tonight and that's probably all I'm going to talk about for the next week. That was, my that was my one and only Avatar reference. You're allowed to, I'm allowed to have that. Um, I know. I said, I said you're allowed, I said you're allowed <laughs> one, one a week. So you're not allowed any in the bonus either. That's fair. Sorry. Okay, fine. I used it. I used it. Um, you used it up, you used it up early. Fair enough. I'm Phoebe. You can follow me on Twitter at PRHRoy or you can follow me on Instagram at Phoebe underscore Rosa underscore Holly. Uh, and this before we introduce our guest and uh, the show today, uh, thank you for listening to this free episode. If you want to listen to more content, uh, interviews, uh, film reviews, lots of, we have lots of really cool stuff on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast, uh, five bucks a month. You really help us to support the show and do what we do. Um, and if you already support us and you're listening to this free one, thank you. Um, this week we are talking about something that we've wanted to do for a while and because of, I think, like the scale of the subject, we sort of really wanted to get the right guest on. So this has definitely been like a bit of a work in progress, but I'm really excited to have, uh, uh, I, I've uh, promoted like Sinobabble a few times. I don't know how many like subs we have, um, but uh, this is the host and the writer of the Sinobabble, the Sinobabble newsletter, uh, Eddie Obiakpani-Reed. Uh, Eddie, how's it going? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, we're good. Cold. Yeah, it's so cool. Well, you're in London. Yeah, you're in London as well, right? So I feel like uh, I'm yeah, currently in East Sussex. Yeah. Okay. So possibly colder. I don't know. Uh, it definitely feels very. There's a part of my flat where uh, you can see your breath in the mornings. Um, mm. Well, you so. can see your breath all the time here. I think we win on that for sure. Definitely countryside vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so besides, besides the cold, now we usually talk about a post to begin the show, but I thought that like, I do have like a post, which I think is kind of funny, but also very telling of this whole subject to bring in later in this episode. But okay. um, we wanted to talk about China for a while. Um, and like there were lots of kind of, I think it was our first conversation was spanned by a post that you had written on Sinobabble about China's relationship with social media and like how it mm. like differed between like how its approach differed between the platforms that its uh, citizens were allowed to use or like use more often versus sort of like the Western, uh, uh, the, the kind of like Western alternatives or like the Western social media platforms and the ways in which they kind of used that. Uh, to advance a kind of like digitized nationalism. Um, mm -hmm. So we are going to talk about that like in the midst of the episode, but I thought like the thing that we should really begin with are these viral videos that have been definitely like flooding my timeline or at least was sort of was sort of flooding my timeline a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, I don't like, so these are kind of videos of protests. The one that sort of went super viral seemed to be outside of a factory that reportedly were was involved in the manufacture of iPhones. And right. in this video, there were workers who were uh, involved in clashes with the police. Uh, the kind of headlines that were read in these in, when these videos were shared were that they were the workers were sort of angry about COVID restrictions. But from what you told me and the kind of notes package that you sent while we were doing this episode, there has been like a, there's been kind of like a long tail that has led, that's led to these protests. Um, so I wondered like to begin with, could you talk to us about the protests that are happening in China at the moment and sort of what has, yeah, just like led to them? Right. Um, so yeah, as you say, there is a long tail to this. So the current protests that um, are taking place sort of nationwide 
are with regards to China's zero COVID policy. So zero COVID, for people who don't know, is the idea that instead of living alongside the virus, like we are doing in the West and other parts of the world, China wants to eradicate COVID entirely from the country. It wants no one to have it. It doesn't want it anyway. It wants zero cases. So they've been pursuing this policy from the beginning. So December 2019, January 2020-ish. And they were one of the first places to institute lockdowns. Um, It started as a nationwide lockdown. And it was pretty much the same as, you know, what everyone else was experiencing. It was indefinite. You know, it started as two weeks and then it became sort of like as long as we thought was necessary. But Mm. China also had um, what we had as well, where you had, you know, moments where you opened up and then moments where certain areas would have to go back into lockdown because cases were picking up again. So Mm. they've been experiencing that for the past, yes, like coming on to three years now. Right. So they, whereas in the West, we've kind of moved into, well, we're just going to have to live with this. We're going to have to hope, you know, vaccination plus general health policies can, you know, support uh, people who do have COVID. In China, they are still doing localized lockdowns. They still have um, something called a health code system where on your phone you have either a green tick, if you're fine and you can go anywhere, or you have a yellow, which means that you've had COVID or you come into contact with someone with COVID so you can't really go into public spaces or you have Mm. red which means that you have to be quarantined that is up until today today that there wasn't there was an announcement that the laws changed but we'll get into that later so Mm. the problem with China's lockdown policies is that you know unlike in say the UK where we had lockdown but we were still able to like go out go to Sainsbury's get your shopping um, mm. people kind of mucked about with it a little bit, especially later on where it's just like, I'm not staying at home. I've got things to do. Um, in China, you've kind of got several touch points that are issues. So one of them is uh, forced quarantining. So they have um, these sort of mass detention, not detention, I guess, but detention if you have COVID quarantining centers that people have complained that the conditions are not very good. You know, you're all lumped in one big room together. People can't attend important meetings or do their work. Um, In China, you have a very large migrant population. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be, you know, estimates range that um, it's like a fifth or even up to a quarter of the population are migrant workers. So people who've traveled from the countryside to big cities who, if they get COVID, they are immediately kicked out of their accommodation or they can't access their work because they might be like uber drivers the chinese equivalent of an uber driver food delivery people Mm. so they don't have work and they don't have somewhere to live Mm. they're in a very insecure position if they do get covid and then you also have the problem of supply chain so people are not allowed to go out to buy their shopping if you're if your compound or your building is in lockdown, you are locked in. You cannot leave. So you're reliant on government deliveries. And people have been complaining that, you know, they're getting rotten vegetables or they're getting nothing at all. They're not getting any toiletries. They're not getting any water. Mm. So mm. you have several issues with the lockdown. They haven't been going smoothly, basically. And we've seen especially this year, people have been a bit more open about complaining. So in April, you had something called the Voices of Shanghai video that went viral across China um, and also kind of reached us in the West. That just it was just a compilation of people, you know, saying different things like, I'm so bored, or like, I want to kill myself, 
sorry, trigger warning, um, or, um, you know, just things like I can't access medical emergencies. I think, again, another trigger warning. Um, in one of the audio, you can hear somebody having, um, I think it's like a heart attack or something like that, and they're on the phone to the emergency services. The emergency services can't mm-hmm. get through because the, the home is barricaded. So these are kind of the issues, right? Like it's not going smoothly. Um, and then mm-hmm. it leads up to what you've mentioned, which is the protest at the Foxconn factory. So Foxconn mm-hmm. is one of the manufacturers of some part of Apple. I can't remember. I do they make the cases or the screens? I can't remember. I, they make I have no part. idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they make some part of like the iPhone, basically. Um, and the workers were basically protesting that they didn't have. Um, they didn't have good conditions to live in basically. And they just wanted to live their lives normally. They didn't want to be tested all the time because they have to take COVID tests every two days as well. So um, that was the main protest there. And there were some clashes with the police in that instance Mm. as well. Um, But it seemed to be resolved until you got to kind of the protests that we are seeing today. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know. And one one of the things that was really interesting um, to me, just in terms of like hearing about the precedent, um, was also just like what kind of videos, you know, there and we'll sort of talk about this throughout the episode anyway. But like when at what point do like videos that kind of go viral on Chinese social media then sort of break out into the West? So like, you know, I can imagine for, you know, the way in which like the Foxconn protest video was being shared, um, particularly among people who have sort of been like anti-vax, like kind of COVID deniers and so on, um, uh, was sort of just like, you know, this is kind of the consequence of lockdown just generally um, and kind of using it to sort of, you know, amplify their own like message of their politics or whatever. But what's really interesting about what you mentioned is that like this sort of seems to kind of be uh, the kind, I don't, I don't know if it's like the ignition of the powder keg or it's still, you know, we're still sort of waiting to see what comes. But um, like one of the questions I did kind of have was about the way in which COVID is actually being talked about on Chinese social media um and like have you sort of noticed like what what like i obviously you know we're not sort of going to be able to get like a full scape but in terms of like a snapshot how is covid like talked about on the sort of platforms that chinese people use to communicate uh day to day right so um obviously we'll get into censorship in a bit i'm sure but the way in which people can talk about covid is very limited um and people chinese um social media users are very savvy in getting around um sort of blocked words censored words censored hashtags and things like that or making satirical comments i think something that's very underestimated about chinese netizens as they they they're called is that they are so good at satire and self-deprecating humor kind of in a way that British people could probably very much appreciate. So for example, (laughs) um, if the government would censor, say, a post about people complaining about lockdown, or for example, there were um, people would post videos um, either on Weibo, which is kind of the equivalent of Twitter, or WeChat, Mm -hmm. which is like WhatsApp, but bigger. So we'll talk about that a bit. they were circulating videos, say, of um, people's pets being killed by the local authorities. 
because they were considered mm. to be COVID carriers or because their owners had been taken away to quarantine. So instead of, you know, quarantining the pets, they would just kill them. And this, you know, the media censors would censor that. And then finding that the, ha- like, if you search for the hashtag, it would just be like 404 not found. And mm. uh, the Chinese people would co- comment things like just the word good over and over again, like copy and paste it. So the whole page was just like, this is good, this is good, this is good. Or just like, yes, this is correct. As in like, we're following the party line and it would just be like, correct, 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 all the way down the page. Mm. So it was kind of skirting around it or using um, like in Chinese, you can use homophone, homophones more easily mm-hmm. because the, the range of like words is much more limited as I'm sure people know. So you can use similar sounding words to create new hashtags. So you can keep talking about the same topic or you can use, um, <laughs> you can use um, like sarcastic responses, I guess. So for example, um, one of the main flashpoints of the current protests was a fire that took place in Xinjiang in Urumqi um, in which some people um, unfortunately died. And in one of the uh, press conferences about the incident, the uh, party chief in charge of the area said, you know, we're really sorry that we couldn't get there and, um, you know, and stop the fire in time. But you also have to understand that some of the people Mm. didn't have the ability to save themselves. And so Chinese people in the responses would respond to this on on their version of Twitter. They'd be like, oh, we're so sorry that we don't know how to save ourselves. Yes, we apologize very deeply for the inconvenience (laughs) of not being strong enough or not having the right capabilities. So Chinese people, they can be very savvy in this kind of like satirical form of posting as well. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, I don't know if when I knocked out for a little bit, I don't know if you actually covered this, um, but... I have a question about uh, about migrant workers in China. Um, so if if they are put in forced quarantine, uh, then what happens? Is there uh, is there alongside them being kept away from the general population? Is there other public health initiatives which help them get better or make sure that they're not um, that they're not just not having any kind of income or able to get food and and, and that kind of thing? Uh, or is it just a question of dividing them from 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 the healthy with all the with all of that or with all that that implies? Uh, yeah, so the quarantine centers are sort of like a hard line basically between the healthy and the unhealthy. Um, and they've got very basic facilities. You know, you could be sharing a sh- one bathroom with a whole floor of people, um, however many people that might be. Um, you know, you get your daily provisions from the government. You can't order outside things in. You can't go out. You can't see people. So it yeah. is very much like a kind of being put in a box until your yeah. test, because your test every one or two days, until your test becomes negative that's when you can return to your own life and then you're left to pick it up wherever you left it off is this disproportionately affecting migrant workers or is it for is it the case with everyone so that's the case for everyone um but it would disproportionately affect migrant workers in that there are a lot of jobs that require you not to have had covid 
mm-hmm. in the past. Um, this is still possible in China. I know in in the UK, in the West in general, it's very unlikely that you'll know someone who hasn't had at least a minor case of COVID. But in China, mm-hmm. there are still people who haven't had it. And there are still jobs that may require you not to have had it as well. And what is the kind of uh, general vaccine uptake like? Um, it's not great. <laughs> Um, I I can't remember the top the figures off the top of my head. Okay. I know especially for elderly people, it's quite low. I want to say sixty percent, but I don't know if that's general or if that's for the older population. Um, and also uh, in China, they're not using the mRNA vaccines as well. Just in case people didn't know that, they've got their own vaccine called Sinovac. Um, it's believed to be much less effective than the mRNA vaccine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people didn't want to take it, so um, there are those factors um, to consider as well is that um is that because of um a kind of deliberate choice or were was china shut out of um of the license of the licensing oh no it's a deliberate choice it's a deliberate deliberate choice choice. yeah everything about covid is now politicized it's now now politicized well i think it all probably always has been has there is there a significant anti-vax movement in China? I know China is a very, very big place. <laughs> um, yeah, but is, mm. but is that is that something which is a significant thing, or is the is the kind of low uptake down to other factors? I think there are a lot of people who mistrust um, sort of health policies, health initiatives in general in China. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say it's not the same. In a political sense, I would say, as a Western anti-vax movement, um, I think it's more a general distrust of those sorts of things. There are still a lot of people in China who still rely solely on traditional Chinese medicine, for example. So mm. it's, I would say it's more of a personal cultural choice than it would be a political choice like in the West. I see. Mm. Okay. I wanted to, uh, just before we sort of go into like the kind of uh, how post or like the kind of uh, landscape of posting in China... Uh, one another piece that you had sent us, uh, which I found was really interesting. It was one. So a lot of this stuff comes from a website called uh, Watson Weibo, uh, which uh, has been really interesting. Actually, like I wish I wish I like um, had uh, seen it more when I was uh, doing my yeah, master's. Yeah, that's a really really um, good site. So, yeah. so if anyone's like just interested in like China and social media, like it's great, and we'll have like all the links in the show notes as well. Um, but you had posted like an interesting piece about uh, a term that was kind of going, I don't know if it was going viral, but certainly being used a lot on the platform called politically waking up and like sort of the nuances around that. And the thing that I found really interesting was the kind of like, I don't know if it's like a, a kind of case of translation, but almost like a deliberate lack of specificity in that because it sort of felt mm-hmm. like an amalgamation of things that were kind of, you know, in the same way that lots of kind of politics accelerated in the West around kind of COVID and lockdowns, uh, but are still sort of being articulated right now. It sort of feels that in China, there's something similar happening where you kind of have this kind of combination of an expansion of a surveillance state that is then being challenged by the reality or like being challenged by COVID and also um, the kind of policies of a country that very much depends on uh, the, the sheer kind of force of the scale and productivity of a workspace or of, of a workforce. Um, it feels like there are lots of kind of crises. Like, I guess, you know, we've spoken about it on uh, our show previously, but like the term poly crisis and how that mm. kind of looks like in China. And I wondered whether you could talk to us a bit about that and just this kind of like, is there sort of this awakening of a different type of political expression happening on Weibo or 
um like is that sort of like overplayed what are your thoughts on that mm. um that's that's a good question because i think that really highlights the difference between how politics is seen in china versus how it's seen in the west um so i i had actually thought of um a way to kind of analogize this so when you know when you sign up for twitter you um it gives you the opportunity to kind of select your interests right and you can mm-hmm. select like i'm interested in sport and you know film and celebrities and reality tv one of those interests you can select is politics mm-hmm. um because in western society we are able to discuss politics in a very direct way and people can be like in, you can be interested in politics right and you can have differing opinions and you can have you know left wing and right wing and like conservative ideas about this and liberal ideas about that and like extremist views on that and marxist views on this um and it's kind of seen as like an open forum of discussion that you can be interested in some people aren't that interested in um in china you don't have that <laughs> So the mm. political aspect of almost any issue is not something that you would discuss openly. Um so um when you're when you're talking about politics on the internet the I would say the most that you were, would be able to talk about it would be either directly supporting government policies or making a kind of like a generalized complaint that doesn't highlight mm the fact that it might be a political issue so for example oh there's a problem with like pollution in my area or there's a problem with um you know ro- uh, crime has increased or like there was this incident or there was an earthquake you would never link that back directly to mm-hmm. say a political oversight or you would never directly call on the government to fix something unless it was an issue that was large enough to create a, a slightly more mass movement so there is there are protest movements there is the opportunity Mm -hmm. to protest but it has to have a certain level of momentum an individual would not necessarily discuss their political views openly online like we would so that so uh just to kind of draw an an analogy it's not it's very very dissimilar in lots of ways but what it makes me think of in terms of an analogy for here is uh the policy that charities are not allowed to are not allowed to be um, politically partisan. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. even charities that address um, homelessness, poverty, etc., they are not allowed to formally blame government policy on uh, on, on kind of increase increase of service users or increase of people use um, people contacting them, which often leads to some. Uh, I suppose contortions is the best way the, to, to describe it, that charities are kind of forced, sort of forced into. So charities aren't allowed to blame austerity in so many words. Mm. Um, so it's just, it, like I said, it's not, it's not, it's not similar um, in terms of kind of, indiv- sort of individual, individual liberties that are sort of taken to a certain extent for granted in Western countries. But there are, there are analogies and I think it's very important not to kind of fall into the trap of seeing seeing China as this kind of monstrous other and instead trying to think about kind of commonalities and analogies that, that sort of make sense to us. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really great analogy. It's not as if Chinese people are not aware 
of mm. the problems within their society and the fact that it is politics that often causes these problems and the fact that they do live in an authoritarian one-party regime. It's just that calling for any material changes in that uh, can lead to um, disappearance, for want mm. of a better word. Yeah. Mm. So uh, let's kind of like get a bit. So you touched, you did actually like touch on some of the uh, aspects of it uh, earlier on, which uh, I think it kind of leads us into a good way into like trying to understand what posting looks like in China. Mm -hmm. um, I have had like very, you know, I've, I've read about like, you know, like Weibo use and I, you know, WeChat and also just like, uh, I think I did a little bit of work during my master's degree on like VPNs in China and everything. But I think beyond like a very limited approach, I don't really know. Uh, much about like how people like post like how people like use social media and what they use it for in China I and mean, at the same time uh, we see a lot of like articles like um, especially from like right wing uh, right wing media sources about the dangers of TikTok and the ways in which TikTok like the Chinese government are using TikTok to brainwash your kid uh, which uh, I, I don't know if that's necessarily you know true, but if if it is, then they're doing they're doing some very creative things with TikTok uh, based <laughs> on what I've seen. But I just wondered, like, yeah, there's again, like, I would really love just like an overview of like what are the platforms that people and like if you're a young person in China or even if you're sort of like a millennial or a boomer in China, like, what type of social media are you using and like what scale of like. Uh, or how much social media use is actually kind of taking place, especially considering that so much of China is like, you know, not particularly urban. And I imagine like probably like not even that well connected to the internet. Um, but I could be wrong. So I'd love to like just sort of know more about like the kind of overall picture of like social media use and the use of technology in like across the across the country. Sure. Um, so I'll start with like general usage. Um Basically, 80% of China's population has a smartphone and uses it every single day and uses social media. Um, that includes people who live in more deprived areas who possibly don't even have electricity in their homes. Um, but they still find, like, <laughs> funnily enough, that's actually a category of um, of um, entertainment on, like, streaming apps and video apps, like the Chinese version of TikTok, which is Douyin, which they're they're mm -hmm. both the same thing. Um, they're both owned by ByteDance. Um, so uh, posting about your rural lifestyle, um, especially like beautiful girls, like picking natural foods to make into like delicious meals or like, you know, mm -hmm. conversations between the older generations who lived in China when there was no running water. And like, this is what my mm -hmm. grandparents talk about. And, you know, my daily life as somebody who lives without electricity, that's actually a category, um, wow. almost like poverty porn. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, even those people find a way not only to use social media, but to mm -hmm. monetize it. Um, just, you know, wow. as many creative ways as we have of monetizing it here as well. Um, onto apps that are used. I think the most important app in China is probably WeChat. Um, in Chinese, that's Weixin. So WeChat is what's known as a super app because it is it is many different apps inside one app. So it's mm -hmm. it, on a surface level, it's WhatsApp, right? So it's um, messaging, video calls, sending pictures, whatever. But it's also... Um, like payments so you can do digital payments you can use it for uber you can i think you can use it as like a delivery service it's got apps in there for gaming for shopping 
Businesses use it for marketing. You can sell directly on the app or link to external websites. It's also Instagram. It's mm-hmm. also informal and formal comms. So like your business, your employer might have that as like, instead of Microsoft Teams, you'll be using your uh, work WeChat group. Um, and there are two WeChats. So there's WeChat, which is for foreigners or mm-hmm. aimed at the foreign market. And then there's Weixin, which is internal to China. So the difference between them is that they are they have two different censorship policies. So there are websites that you'll be able to access on WeChat that you cannot access on Weixin. Similarly, if you send a politically sensitive message on WeChat to someone who is inside China and who is using Weixin, that message may never be received. So they have they are the same app, but they are configured differently depending on whether you are inside China or whether you are external to China. And what about um, like, uh, so no, sorry, I thought, I thought you were. I was just going to add one thing about WeChat, which is similar to most apps, which is that you have to register your phone number. And in China, to get a phone number, you need to use your ID. So basically, your account is linked directly to your personal identification. Okay. And so is that something which can be used uh, used in any kind of law enforcement it is specifically used for law enforcement. So specifically yeah. used for law enforcement. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Right. Yeah. So it is used for monitoring what you post. Um, individual group chats are also so like your WhatsApp messaging group chats. Facebook says they don't read it. China, they don't lie about that. They tell you we're reading it. <laughs> they will block messages. Um, most group chats have a moderator who is responsible for reporting any sensitive posts as well. Um, oh, I can think of so many delete. people who would love that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like when you were, when you were sort of saying that, I was just thinking <laughs> like, I wonder who the cop would be would in be, our group who chat. Who would be our, our group chat cop? That's a good question. I feel like I'm too I'm too disorganized to be the cop, uh, but I can I. Um, <laughs> Yeah, now I'm just thinking about who, yeah, I ha- there is this like bit that, or there is this, like, I do think to myself, but like, yeah, if there's a group chat of more than five people, one of them is like probably a police officer. Um, and wow, it's true. Statistically. It's true. Yeah, don't, don't, cite, don't ask me to cite my sources, but it is true in China. So thank you for vindicating me on that. Yeah, no, like being a narc is like a, a prestige position, position I was in gonna, China. I was, so. I was, oh my God, I was going to ask like a serious question, but now I'm just like, yeah, if you're like the group narc, do like people make fun of you on the group chat? Do they sort of like try bait you into like sort of snitching to the cops or? <laughs> uh, I think it's more of like a, think of it more like a Reddit thing. I think that's probably a right, good way okay. to think. Of uh, it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I can so just sort of just imagine like a moderator, like every forum that I've been on, there's always like the moderator who like lets the power kind of get to their head and oh, like yeah. no one likes them. And it just kind of like the moderator is the one that sort of causes the chaos. So, mm. um, oh my God, I have so many, I have so many questions about, what to do when you're like and are these like unpaid but are they like unpaid narcs as well like they're not sort of getting oh, yeah, any yeah, sort of yeah. reward from the yeah, government yeah, yeah. they're just doing it for yeah. the love of narking just wow. for the, yeah. the sheer love of the game <laughs> <laughs> okay my, my, my ser- i no. also have a really um a really stupid and ignorant question when you say um when you say what the translation is in chinese do you mean do you mean mandarin or do you mean another chinese language mandarin yeah always okay. mandarin when we're talking about okay. the ccp Fair enough. Um, so my other like sort of more serious question was about like the conglomerates because you had mentioned that like obviously you have companies like ByteDance um, who like kind of run TikTok uh, in the like, you know, and 
I don't, I, I know that Chris, Chris Stoker Walker, like talked to us a lot, talked to us like ages ago a little bit about how like bike dance is sort of structured in the West. Um, but I was sort of wondered like about what, because, you know, these uh, for people who are sort of kind of assume that, oh yeah, these are kind of, you know, the apps that Chinese people are allowed to use uh, are sort of all kind of, it's all sort of like contained within like the, you know, the CCP Bureau and like, you know, it doesn't sort of seem to be like that. It seems to be like you have these like big tech companies that are kind of like commercially orientated, but also have to work within the auspices of the state. So they are sort of like external state department, like civil service departments. And I was just really interested into like, if you're a tech company providing this type of service for China, like what is your relationship with the government, but also like how do they kind of position themselves as being both, um, you know, functionaries of the state, but also these commercial enterprises that are like really important to the sort of vitality of the Chinese economy? That is such a wonderful question. Um, because yeah, you're spot on when you say that these are they're not state-owned companies. I think there's a misconception that, you know, things like uh Weibo, which is the Chinese equivalent of um Twitter, uh, which is owned by a company called Sina or companies under Tencent, so that would be like WeChat, companies under mm. ByteDance, that's Douyin and TikTok, and other, so there's like another company that's called Douyu, which is the, um, yeah. it's like the equivalent of Twitch, basically, um, okay. live streaming platform. And then also other platforms, people in the West might have heard of something called AliExpress, mm. uh, where you can buy like cheap Chinese goods. Yeah, that's I kind bought of a like, fake pair of trainers from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They, they were pretty good. I mean, my my credit my, my credit card got hacked afterwards, uh, which was not good. But the trainers were they were pretty decent. So you you win some, you lose some. Um, yeah. But um, AliExpress <laughs> is um sort of like a derivative or like sub company of a larger company called Alibaba. So Alibaba mm. is like where a lot of people source, you know, those drop shipping stores that people yeah. have online where it's like, I ordered this bracelet, but it took 10 weeks to come because it had to come from a factory in China and they just pretended that they were in the UK. So those platforms, so Alibaba, um, which is owned, well, the CEO was Jack Ma. Um, they own things like Taobao. They have their own live streaming services as well. So there are these, so these large conglomerates um, these large tech companies, they have ecosystems, a bit like Facebook is buying up Instagram, um, WhatsApp, and all of the other, you know, like they're trying to do the metaverse stuff. You've got big companies like that in China, Ant Group, that's Jack Ma's company, um, Pony Ma's company, which is, um, oh, oh, I'm going to get that wrong. I think it's Sina. Um, so you have, yeah, these these big companies, they are commercially minded they do want to own as much of the market as possible. At first, the government was sort of all for that because obviously they were promoting um, growth in China. They're promoting tech development. They have one of, at least one of them has IPOs. I think Sina is listed on the NASDAQ. Um, mm. And obviously Ant Group was going to list, um, I think it was the New York Stock Exchange. Um, but then we get onto the question of what's their relationship with the government. Um, Unlike in the West, where we are kind of reacting very badly to things like Google taking our data and then calling them to the high court and being like, what do you guys think you're doing? And trying to sort of like mm -hmm. retroactively police them. China actively polices them. These companies work. I wouldn't say they work at the behest of government agents. I shouldn't say government. I should say CCP agencies. Mm -hmm. 
but they can only work within the limitations and bounds that are set by a few administrations. So that would be the Cyberspace Administration, the Propaganda Department, and the Ministry of Public Security. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can explain what all of those do as well, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're going to... I would like to know what all of those do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll try, I'll, I'll try and keep it short and sweet. They, bas- they, they like overlap with each other, but the Cyberspace Administration is basically like network stuff. So, you know, things like legislation on social media platforms, telling them that they have to cooperate with the government, legislation on VPNs, making sure that people's usernames aren't offensive and are linked up to their IDs, deleting apps that are bad from the app store, reviewing foreign websites, that sort of thing. The propaganda department Mm. is more about messaging. So they oversee the media more generally. They make sure, I think there's like a directive that's like, there can be no more than 30% of negative information on the internet. So they kind of try and uphold that balance, making sure that overall it's positive and harmonious. Um, And they are also in charge of content creation as well. That's a very important part. Um, There's a whole division of um, people. I think that it's supposedly over 2 million people, but there's no definitive figure called, Mm. they're colloquially known as Woolmouse or 50 Cent Army. Uh, Their job is to create posts uh, that are positive about the government and the CCP, and they supposedly get paid 50 cents or roughly 5p per post. And that's Mm. like, what that's like a side hustle i guess you can have like, like that might be more survey. yeah <laughs> it might be more lucrative than like influencer weight like when you sort of factor everything i'm i'm so fascinated by this and there's a part of me that's just like uh, do we have a job application no I'm, I'm just i'm just messing around but like the idea the idea of like being like paid to post uh and being paid to post in such a sort of like rigid way is kind of yeah. oh, so fascinating it's so fascinating yeah, it's like it's kind of like the equivalent of being a troll, but you're like a positive troll almost, or just like you're <laughs> right. just like a, a weird sycophant who's like, oh my god, the CCP is so amazing. Oh my god, this is so you know, like when the CCP posts like a picture of like ethnic minorities dancing in a field, and you're like, oh my god, mm. like I love this yeah. so much. I'm so proud to be Chinese. That kind of thing. But presumably, this is not some. This is something which is known about. I mean, no, presumably, this is not. This is, this doesn't have. Uh, this doesn't have the the effect of making of making people think. Oh God, there are some people that really like the government. Yeah, no, this is something that's known about for sure. And again, you get back to the like when a Wu Mao is spotted by skeptical netizens, you get like the derisive comments and the sarcasm again. So there are some people who just mm. ignore it, and there are some people who are like, "Oh, come on," you know. Mm. Yeah, I guess like one of the things I was interested in was just like the idea of like harmony on the internet Mm. and just like the ways in which like they're sort of viewing content management as not necessarily like a way of pushing propaganda or like not necessarily primarily just to push propaganda or to be like everyone sort of has to have like a positive view. But I, and I wonder whether like the approach they're sort of taking is like knowing that there is sort of like quite, you know, there is a fair level of dissidence and really just sort of throwing things into the ether that like, moderates that or like mild like mellows it out a bit so it's not necessarily the case that like they're like you know uh, they'll they'll and again i could be wrong and you know if if i am please correct me but are they sort of like allowing a certain level of dissidence but kind of present like the promotion of like pro-state content both from this both from like the ccp but i imagine also just like people who like 
our kind of supporters, that's enough to sort of like counteract it and at least kind of inform or to formulate this kind of so-called harmony. Mm. Yeah, I would say a certain level of dissent is allowed, a certain level of negativity is allowed so that it's creating sort of like a realistic sort of marketplace of ideas, right? No one is going to be perfectly happy all the time. The CCP tend to, they're very realistic bunch, I would say, Mm -hmm. even if they are kind of heavy handed and, you know, not cool, but they do understand, you know, how people work. And that, so for example, often when it comes to dealing with negativity or um, sort of mini protests that break out, um, so we saw it actually at the beginning of the COVID epidemic because of the death of the Dr. Li Wenliang, that became a big issue online um, because he had mm. he was the first guy who warned about COVID and then all of his posts were deleted. His blog was deleted and then he passed away. People found out about it. They got really upset about it online. And so the party's response to that wasn't just to delete all the posts and only post positive things, what they did was they were like, you're right, this shouldn't have happened. So we're firing the local officials who are in charge. And it turns into like, yes, you're right, there is a problem here. And we, the party, know how to solve it. And we're going to do that by, you know, cutting out the cancer, basically. Like, this is the problem, bloop, we've removed it, problem solved. So they've got that kind of approach to a lot of politically motivated protests, I would say. So... I guess like this might be a good way to like kind of get into the surveillance aspect of all this, especially because I think we're now in our, in our last third, unfortunately, of this episode. Um, and I really just wanted to like talk about how, uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you about like how surveillance in terms of like surveillance technology, actually, like all the kind of politics around that in China. Um, part of that is like, I'd love to sort of know how, so, you know, you, you sort of spoke a bit about like the idea of, you know, moderators sort of being voluntary knocks and like, I imagine like lots of kind of, you know, uh, CCP kind of the hand very much or like observing kind of the internet and everything like that. But I wondered like what other surveillance technologies were employed into, uh, the Chinese internet to kind of make it you know, yeah, like what, what, like what is the structure of that surveillance? Are they sort of using specific kinds of technologies? Are they kind of, is, is there sort of like a kind of national VPN for lack of a better term that like blocks out, uh, you know, websites that it would rather like you not have. I I also wonder whether like in the same way that so much of the internet now is just like social media platforms. And so the idea of like blocking a website kind of feels a bit antiquated uh, here. I wonder whether in China, like, is there sort of a similar situation going on where it's less about like blocking specific websites and much more about how you do wide scale surveillance on what feel on, on like this selection of uh, social media platforms that are quite big. Hmm. So um, to sort of answer your last question first, um, blocking websites is still alive and kicking. There are over like 20,000 websites that are blocked in China and it, the number keeps going up and it's not websites that oh Chinese people would never have known this existed like sometimes a website will arrive or like a service mm-hmm. will arrive like Gmail or Google for mm-hmm. example and then it will get deleted later on mm-hmm. so that's like a very that's very active <laughs> in China mm-hmm. um and then to how surveillance and censorship actually works. So I think it's kind of might be important to frame it in terms of 
um, China's sort of wider goal of creating a harmonious and civilized society that prioritizes national security. And I know that's a lot of political waffle, but everything that China does on its internet space is because it has these larger goals in mind. So, um, for example, the Ministry of Public Security oversees something called the Golden Shield Project that is more commonly known as the Great Firewall of China. And that is the service right. that blocks all of these websites. So like the, the um, what's it called, the DNS or the, yeah, the IP address, the yeah. DNS or whatever it is that links to harmful content, as it's known, um, will be put behind the Great Firewall. And that's actively maintained by the public security so like law enforcement basically so the, but that would include for us that would be like the police mi5 counterintelligence mi6 all of all of um the security services so mm. secure so like online security is a part of like other broader national goals um so for example the idea of like data privacy or things like um the social credit system, which does exist. I know people keep saying, oh, it doesn't exist, but it does. Um, hmm. That's why when you sign up for an internet service, you have to use your real name. You have to use your ID card. You, um, Your geolocation is always on. You can't turn that off in China. Very annoying. It uses up so much battery. It's so annoying. Hmm. <laughs> like I can't, <laughs> I can't express that more. So annoying. Um, Things like facial recognition systems are employed mm -hmm. in person and online. And the way that China does it, they it's kind of like a layered thing because they the, the CCP is originally an analog party. It's an analog system. So they they were born in the days where if you wanted to spy on your neighbors, you had to go into their house and spy on them sort of thing. Um, right. And so they still have those methods where they have sort of local mm -hmm. community watchdogs um you know they have those internet narcs they exist in real life you know the moderators on online communities exist in real life communities as well so the mm -hmm. internet policies internet surveillance tools that they use are layered on top of real world mm -hmm. tangible tools as well mm -hmm. mm. i've about like facial, and you know unfortunately we don't have time to like talk about the facial recognition technology in a lot of detail. But I'd love to sort of like find out a bit more about that because obviously we sort of like have read the stories about how this type of like, how at least like the most invasive and certainly like the most brutal types of surveillance software uh, or like hardware even is sort of being used uh, in Xinjiang and like against like other minorities in China. Um, and is very much also like part of its part of like a wider strategy of like hyper productivity as well. And I wondered, and I wondered whether you could talk to us more about like how that type of like facial recognition and like biometric surveillance is being employed, uh, and like what the purposes of that are. Because it, I, I don't know, it also sort of, especially because of other kind of uh, countries around the world who are certainly easing up to the idea of more biometric surveillance, uh, especially for things like border control and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I can imagine, or I imagine that like China has sort of recognized this and sees that as a potential lucrative ground. And I wonder whether like, you know, uh, I, I, I guess to like put it bluntly, I wonder whether um, the use of this surveillance technology isn't there just to kind of like enforce its own systems of, you know, uh, productive harmony or whatever you'd call it, but also recognizing that, you know, in future, there will be a demand for this type of surveillance technology and using uh, places like Xinjiang as like a testing ground for that. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the export of these technologies, I think it's already started. There was um, something came out. I can't remember it now, but if I do remember post, I will try and send you something to link. Um, a case of a company buying some um, some technology from China based on its uses in Xinjiang mm. um, on the Uyghur population. So for people who, I don't know how you wouldn't have heard about this, but just in case people don't know, um, the Uyghur community is a minority community, mainly Muslims, although I don't think all of them are Muslims, but um, Central Asians um, who live primarily in Xinjiang in northwestern China. Um, and they've been submitted to very harsh, brutal uh, policies of surveillance, uh, forced um, well, China calls it re-education camps, but um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we won't speculate as to what goes on in there, but you can read you can read more about uh, what people say goes on in these ed- re-education camps, um, and also uh, movement policies. So not so either forced relocation to different areas uh, to you know do forced labor, which was the whole Xinjiang cotton um, controversy, or prevented from leaving the region or their hometown entirely. Um, there are other policies as well that are layered on top, sort of like. Um, people have speculated about the extent of things like birth control or forced marriages to Han Chinese people. Certainly, there are lots of uh, policies to increase other minorities to move to the area, to water down the number of Uyghur people, people forcing um, Uyghur people to live with Han officials inside their homes, the closure of mosques, things like that. So essentially just the suppression of the Uyghur culture, way of life, mm-hmm. um, in actual physical, as I said before, tangible policies. And then on top of that, you have a layer of digital surveillance. So this includes things like having apps installed in your phone that track your location. And if you delete this app um, and someone finds out, then uh, you can go to prison or to one of these re-education camps. This, so how they would find out is they have a grid system in most towns in Xinjiang. And in every grid, this could be like every 500 meters, there is a checkpoint and you could get stopped at any checkpoint by a police officer and your phone can be checked without, you know, prior cause or reasoning. You can just be pulled aside and checked. Um, so you have to have your ID on you at all times. You have to have your phone on you at all times. It has to be an approved phone that's issued by the government. Um, obviously, again, you have facial recognition systems to track where you've been, where you're going, who you're talking to. Um, public worship in China is not allowed. So you can worship inside a mosque, but obviously with the destruction of mosques, there are fewer places Mm. for people to worship. You don't have things like prayer rooms, how we have in our offices in the UK. There's Mm. nothing like that. Um, You are not allowed to proselytize, but that could include just having people in your house who are not members of your family right, yeah. and praying at the same time. So there are all of these mechanisms of which digital surveillance is one of them to control the movement and just generally the lives of the Uyghur people. So that mm-hmm. system, yes, part of it can be exported in terms of like the digital surveillance, but also that it's a testing mm-hmm. ground in terms of Xinjiang is seen as a problem area, similarly to how... Right. Hong Kong is a problem area, how Taiwan is a problem area. And so mm-hmm. it's more likely to be locally exported after being tested successfully yeah. in somewhere like Xinjiang. 
Mm, that would make sense. I have a um a complicated and delicate question. Um so if you just think that this is there is absolutely no answer to this. Um but I'm then that's obviously fine, but I'm just interested to know your thoughts. Uh with so with so with the recent protests uh one of the things that we've been seeing a lot from uh from left-wing people in not all left-wing people obviously obviously to be very very clear on that but there is a there is a reasonable constituency of left-wing people who are who are saying that the recent protests are outside ops and outside interference um this is not something i believe to be the case but it's certainly it's certainly historically been the case that the that uh internal protests um even ones with a very long tail as you said and even ones with completely with completely reasonable and completely verifiable independent reasons independent from any kind of external pressures for happening but they certainly have historically been uh been turned into by the by the western media um a kind of site for pushing uh pushing more of the particularly the american imperial project and the longer they go on the more likely it is that there is going to be uh there's going to be kind of external uh external security service um interference in in independent um and organic protests within uh, within a country that has been that has been so set up and framed as the enemy and i was wondering if you had any thoughts about how how to how to keep very very on topic shall we say when thinking about and talking about these protests and how to prevent it from turning into uh, just another arrow in the in the kind of in the imper- in the american imperialist quiver mm-hmm. i'm not happy with that analogy i'll come back to it i'll come back to, <laughs> I'll come back, I'll come back to the. i'll come back to that 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 one there and um, but i just wondered if you had any thoughts on that mm, yeah i think that's that's such a an interesting question um i personally haven't seen a lot of people talking about it like that but i don't consume a lot of like generic political stuff i look yeah. at so much china stuff that it's just yeah my mind is swimming most of the time but something that actually a chinese person had um posted online so the idea that foreign interference is the um is the main cause of a protest or like what kicks off a protest even if there are legitimate concerns extant is something that the ccp uses a lot so they will dismiss legitimate claims by saying this is foreign um interference this is um internal enemies colluding with external enemies to get people riled up and to turn you against the ccp Mm -hmm. someone in china responded to uh that by saying sorry what foreign what external people are you talking about? What foreign elements? Are you talking about Marx and Engels? Because that's all <laughs> the foreign elements that we have access to. And that kind of, you know, draws to the point that if foreign elements were able to start process in China, the CCP would be doing a lot worse of a job than most people are assuming that they do. 
they keep a very very tight lid i'm not sure people like when you watch a youtube video influencers promote things like vpns all the time and they're very very mm. commonplace in the west this is not the case in china in china vpns exist but they are also blocked so the government can block if you they can detect if you're using a vpn and still block your access to certain things chinese internet security is very very tight and even though you do have educated middle class upper middle class chinese people who have traveled and studied abroad this is by no means like the majority of even middle class people the people are not ignorant but they are isolated and i think if you were trying to argue you know you can't even go to china as a journalist without being followed around by your very own dedicated one or two police officers let alone if you're a member of an ngo or political group trying to mm. spark revolution we chat <laughs> groups are actively monitored mm. you know yeah. not just by narcs but they have keyword sensors like even your there are people i know who turn off their phones at home if they're having a politically delicate conversation i was having when i was doing my phd in china i was in hong kong i was talking to a, a visiting professor who came from china uh, we were talking about something that uh, something about the 1960s and he was whispering you know it was it was hardly politically sensitive by today's terms but we were talking about propaganda and how the state uses propaganda and he was whispering to me because mm -hmm. he was so and it's something that we haven't spoken about unfortunately because otherwise we talk about it forever but the idea of self-censorship in china is very much mm. alive people limit themselves because they do have that fear kind of in a you know, sorry to use the analogy, guys, but in the 1984 sense where people think <laughs> so hard about what mm. they want to say that they don't even end up saying it. I have friends who, who, on my PhD course, who were from China, one of whom was gay, who was like, I just can't go back and live my life in China. I want to move mm. to Taiwan or stay in Hong Kong because my lifestyle is not accepted. And even though it's not legal, I cannot live in a free manner. If I go back to China, I cannot live mm. comfortably, express myself the way I want, move in the circles that I want to move in, communicate the way I, I would naturally communicate. And that is something that Chinese people are aware of themselves. They don't need foreign elements to come in and tell them that this is what's been happening. And I think anyone who'd spent two years locked in their apartment by themselves with nothing but time to think would come to the same conclusion and would also start kicking down barricades eventually. Thank you. That's a very, that is a very thoughtful, thoughtful <laughs> answer. I, I am conscious that we are near uh, closing. We're, we are, we're, we're near um, the end time. Uh, by which not the end time in like kind of you know just in a I've got to go I've got to go I've got to go back to work like boo. Oh, same um, which is my which is my own personal 1984. Um, but what I don't want to ask is before before like we round up. Um, and again, I really wish that I, I wish that we could talk about this for a lot longer. Maybe like we'll find an opportunity to do it like fairly soon. Um, which is that like uh, Western social media platforms aren't like necessarily like I you know you see Chinese content on Western social media platforms either because they sort of like get through. Uh, and I'd be really interested to find out like uh, what kind of content sort of makes it through and how does that work? Like, is it the case that you need uh, like? you know, you need to sort of like utilize like diaspora and like, well, how do like uh, people from the mainland who are maybe either studying Hong Kong or Taiwan or even just studying uh, in Europe and America, um, how are they kind of like finding content on uh, Chinese platforms and then like putting it out there on Western social platforms? And then I also like, 
one person I've been really kind of fascinated by who could warrant like a whole episode, but like, sadly, well, we don't have time in like for 10 minutes. But um, a guy who like called uh, Chen, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing his names wrong, Chen, Chen Weiha, um, Chen Wei. who is... Uh, who is the Chinese daily EU bureaucrat and columnist, but he kind of has a reputation on Twitter for like just being a bit like snarky and snazzy to. Oh, uh, I know the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He'll like, he'll like, he'll like just kind of, and he's like, he's like a very kind of, you know, he's a reply guy, but a reply guy in a kind of like fact check your, uh, you know, and like he kind of is interested, you know, he does like whole culture war stuff and like he's a very, very strange guy, but like, to me also sort of emblematic or like kind of illustrates the sort of uh ways in which maybe you are allowed to use western social media platforms but in very very specific ways and again i don't know whether like this is someone you know because of his position whether it's sort of been permission granted to him or just like the kind of realities of his place as a kind of journalist covering china um, but I, I guess I'm just like the broader question is like, I'm interested in like where Western social media platforms sort of fit within the Chinese social media ecosystem and how we sort of get to the point of like, not only finding kind of pro CCP kind of accounts on our, on like Western social media platforms, but also how, you know, the kind of long tail, how we get to the video of the process outside of Foxconn kind of going viral on Twitter and TikTok and stuff. Yeah. So, um, I'm so glad we're ending on this topic because it's like one of the things that genuinely like cheers me up sometimes to look at official <laughs> spokespeople Twitter accounts from China. They're just they're so joyous. I love them so much. But to start with um, Chinese diaspora. Um, so their usage of um foreign social media would be kind of like how we would use WeChat. Like you wouldn't use WeChat to talk to your British mates or your American mates. You'd use like WhatsApp or Facebook. Um, similarly, you know, you can't use WhatsApp in China, it's banned. So they would only use those sorts of things to communicate with their um, with their foreign friends. Mm. Of course, there are also um, people based in China who are actively trying to promote Chinese news to the world. So a great website for anyone who wants to keep up to date with these sorts of things are um, Sixth Tone and What's on Weibo. They're really good sites. Um mm. And just in general, there are people you can follow on Twitter who are based in China who will use Twitter via their own VPN or their own networks to share information that they've got from their Chinese networks in the West. Mm -hmm. um, but my absolute favorite usage of Western platforms by Chinese people are the official spokespeople, mainly for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but also specific um, like ambassadors to different countries. Uh, people like Zhao Li Jian or Hua Chunying, those are some other people you can follow on Twitter, because they are either shitposting, for want of a better word, <laughs> or yeah. you know they're like smack talking the US um, mainly, or like the UK, or they'll just tweet a random headline like, mm, you know, this many people have died of COVID in the US, and like not contextualize mm -hmm. it, or they'll just, <laughs> you know, they'll they'll just post like in the middle of protests in China, they won't address the protests at all, but they'll be like, being a harmonious society is really important. Or they'll just, they'll post <laughs> about like, Xi Jinping's in Cuba. These are all the state visits that he's mm. made to the tobacco farms in Havana. And you're just like, dude, your country is like in the middle of a social revolution. And they're just like, yeah. wow, Xi Jinping's on holiday. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so I really just love like, the tone deafness and like yeah as you say as well just like being that guy in the replies like um you might, might want to fact check that sweetie like really mm. just not even passive aggressive just straight up aggressive 
towards Yeah, this people. is kind of why I like Chen's post <laughs> so much. Like, yeah, they're just, they're so heightened and so emotional that you, you kind of want to be like, dude, chill. Like, it's all right. But another <laughs> um, type of, I guess, proper, not really propaganda. I don't know how you would um, categorize this. This is kind of a newer phenomenon where you have these like pro-China YouTubers. So like dudes who moved to China in like 2017 to teach English, who like started a YouTube channel, now have over 100,000 followers and are like really like, oh my God, China's amazing. This is like my Chinese girlfriend and like it's so amazing to live here. (laughs) Also, everything that you read in the West about China is a lie. No one's being oppressed. Mm. I went to Xinjiang. I went to Tibet. It's so amazing. Look at me and my picture with this alpaca. Um, you know, the kind of like vlogger content that was very popular in like 2014. They're still doing right, that yeah. now about China. Um, and there's speculation as to whether or not they're being paid or sponsored in some way. A lot of them do get to meet like officials and get to stay in fancy hotels. And obviously they get free stuff like any influencer would. Um, but it's just interesting to see people of their own initiative not just being like, I love China, but also trying to debunk what they would see as conspiracy theories from the West as well. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, well, look, I have like, I do actually genuinely have like so many more kind of questions to ask you, um, like bearing in like, like how long the notes were. So I'm actually thinking this could be like, you know, we'll, would we, we'd love to sort of like have you back on to sort of talk more specifically about both surveillance and just kind of like the relationship. I, 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 I'm very, I'm really now just obsessed with like the knocks. Like that's all I'm thinking about now. And like, who would the knock be in our group chat? And I just love to find out more about that. So maybe like that's in the new year, we Christmas can have you back party on. Game. Yeah. If, no, genuinely. Um, so maybe in the new year, we're like, we'd love, we'd love to have you back. Um, uh, just, uh, to talk about, to talk more just about this and just all of this like really cool stuff you write on your blog. But I was going to say, if people do want to like find out more about what you're writing, including like a lot of your writing is about sort of like trying to understand and see what's happening in China through these digital platforms. Um, how can they do that and how can people follow you? Sure. So I have a substack. The substack is called Sinobabble. That's S-I-N-O-B-A-B-B-L-E. Uh, I'm on Twitter with the same name. I also have a website with a podcast. The podcast is about Chinese history. It's kind of finished now. It goes from 1900 to the end of the Cultural Revolution. So if you're interested in learning about Chinese history, you can listen to that. Um, And yeah, I would love to come back on and talk more. I'm going to do so much research into the narcs and try and blow your mind as much as possible. Please, please. I'm I'm obsessed. I'm absolutely obsessed. (laughs) Um, So no, uh, but thank thank you so much for coming on. Uh, And thank you very much for listening. Uh, I put my socials on the top, but like, yeah, HKZMANI on both platforms. Uh, Don't be weird, usual stuff. Um, Phoebe, do you want to do any plugs? There's no point saying don't be weird. It's just... In fact, for anything, they invite you. In, I mean, if in, if you, in one yeah. ear, in one ear and out the other, it's fine. If you're weird, I'll report you to the knock. It's fine. We, 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 we love you. We appreciate every single one of our listeners. Just don't be too weird. How's that? Compromise. Right, yeah, fair, Not fair too fair. weird. Fair don't, enough. Don't put, a weird, don't put a weird meme comment on like, one of Hussein's wedding pictures like that's that that's the level of not too weird that we're <laughs> that we're that we're requesting just like have have some respect for the offline people in our lives <laughs> who don't wish to see this kind of to wish to, don't wish to see this kind of thing um yeah if you would like to listen to me and Milo Ebers' Seinfeld podcast then 
great news you can um, that's masters of our domain which you can follow on twitter at masters of pod where we post episodes etc and i know i said last episode that i am that i've got big substack plans and i do and i will be sorting that out soon i just need to think of a title for it which isn't going to either annoy me or um or seem really stupid so and i can't think of i can't think of one I'm, it's the my, biggest my, task like, you'll ever have to do in your life like, <laughs> like honestly i was just thinking of just like oh maybe i'll just do it as my name but then i was like but does that sound does that have any pizzazz no that has no pizzazz so i need something <laughs> with pizzazz that's not annoying you um, could like be one of those like from the desk of phoebe roy no i hate that i absolutely hate that i hate that i, I knew hate you that so I knew, much i knew you would I, that's why i suggested it i knew you'd hate it uh <laughs> That's very funny. Um, some thoughts, <laughs> some thoughts from the pen, from the poison pen, from the twisted mind of Phoebe Roy. How's that? How's that? Yeah, my that, that would be title. good. I would, I would, I would, I would sub read to that. that. I would read I'd that. This show is produced by Devon. You can follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. Also, listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. Um, so that's it from us. We'll catch you on the next one. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.